0: Welcome back to the DealMakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Alrighty, Hello, everyone, and welcome to the dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder, you know, a founder that, uh, you know, is going to really tell us about, uh, a rocket ship that he's building. And, um, you know, he's definitely going to walk us through how he started the company, you know, how he also learned a bunch of lessons, you know, when it came to infrastructure as well as scaling up the business. So again, a very inspiring episode that we have ahead of us. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Salim Youssefadeh. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Alejandro. Great to be here.
0: So originally born in the L.A. area, give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Uh, life was good. I mean, uh spent most of my time in the outdoors, loved uh, everything about the outdoors. I'll go hiking a lot, skiing, um, so everything, you know, fishing, hiking. And then uh grew up in Palos Verdes area in Los Angeles, uh born and raised here. Uh ended up going to UCLA for undergrad, getting uh, two degrees there, and then uh after that I went to grad school in San Luis Obispo, uh, for two masters degrees. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love problem solving and challenges, so there's lots that have come out of that.
0: And what, what, what brought you into engineering, into problem solving in first place?
1: Um, it's sort of something that, that I was always interested in. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the double masters and the double majors sort of spread from that desire to just constantly keep on learning. Uh, and that's one of the mottos that I follow. I mean, I started electrical engineering in undergrad, had an applied math major, and then same thing in grad school. I started with a master's and decided the MBA on top of that. Um, also, I, I got a pilot's license when I was uh, living up in the Bay, working up there. And, you know, one thing about uh, flying is that it's really a, a license to learn. It's a you know, it's a hobby that there's always, you know, something to stay proficient and learn about. And I love being in that position. And, you know, that's also one of the things that's so exciting about Wadi V is that there's so much to learn in this industry and so much room for improvement.
0: And we'll get into what we mean just a little bit now. After school, you know, getting all the degrees, basically, you ventured into being an engineer and doing right. a few things here and there. So, so tell us about what was that experience? You know, being a software engineer.
1: Um, yeah. So, I mean, right after grad school, I uh, transitioned into um, HGST, which is a subsidiary of Western Digital, uh, working as a software engineer. Uh, I was there for about two years, just know, on a day-to-day basis doing programming. But, uh, you know, I I still had that entrepreneurship mindset of wanting to do more rather than just becoming a programmer. Um, So after about two years, I I transitioned to a a project management role at uh, Global IP, which is a company that um, was on a mission to um, provide internet services for sub-Saharan Africa. So that uh, project was more involved on, you know, creating a satellite with partnership with Boeing and, and uh, working with SpaceX to launch the satellite. Um, I was there for about uh, two years before uh, migrating onto the next transition of, of you know tinkering around with, with smart home automation and uh, creating a voice control device that uh, works alongside uh, Vantage, which is a uh, fairly well-known smart home toolkit, but didn't really uh, offer any availability on, on the future proof side of that of having voice control. Um, so I really just created that uh, out of my own hobby and then decided how can I, you know, sell it, make a business out of it and, and give it to so many others that are probably seeking the same thing that I was.
0: So then obviously, you know, at this time, you know, too, you were doing, like you were saying, your your side projects. So how do the side projects, you know, all of a sudden, you know, get you into the venture world? Um, it, it
1: stems from that problem-solving mentality, right? Always looking at new opportunities and seeing how to create a new efficiency or a new opportunity out of it. And, and, you know, myself, my background isn't in the transportation industry, but uh, after, you know, a tremendous amount of research sort of created the idea of Wadi V and and getting into um, electrification of the transport industry.
0: So then then tell us about, you know, like how things came about, you know, with Wadi V. Yeah,
1: so Wadi V actually started with a lot of research in early 2020 during the COVID days where everybody was still stuck at home and uh, stumbled upon an article on hydrogen and how it uh, claimed to be the fuel of the future and uh, offered, you know, at that time, advantages over electric trucks. So, for instance, those advantages um, were faster fuel time, lower weight and and probably more um, mileage. But uh, the more research we dug into it in terms of, you know, creating pure green hydrogen uh, it uh, proved to be a lot more costly, right? So if you look at how um, hydrogen is made today, the traditional method is using steam methane reforming, which is by no means a clean way of creating hydrogen. So if you're really going into, you know, truck electrification and zero emissions, the idea is to be as clean as possible. And to create green hydrogen, you have to go through a process called electrolysis. Um, so at that point, uh, I was evaluating um, taking a property into development in the Mojave area, which is known for large solar deployments, and you know creating a solar field that was dedicated to creating green hydrogen with the process of electrolysis. But that is a, a very costly investment, and then when it comes down to the storage and transportation of hydrogen, that is also a very you know costly additive. Um, and then we started you know looking back at electrification and, and, and the battery electric realm and started seeing the, the advancements in technology there with, you know, the higher density batteries, as well as uh, megawatt charging, which is significantly faster charging than what we see today with CCS chargers uh, and realized that long-term battery electric will still probably win. Uh, and so started off with that mentality, looked at, you know, the type of electric trucks that exist today. Um, and the opportunities that are available, and how we can develop a business model out of it, and then how we can scale it up to that next level of technology to have megawatt charging available at stations and have much more rapid
0: charging electric trucks. So I guess for the people that are listening now, um, to really get it, what ended up being what EV? How do you guys make money? Too?
1: Yeah. So so Watt EV's vision was to uh, really make it a lot more fat, uh, easy for. Um, shippers and carriers to get into zero emissions offerings. We wanted to become the main infrastructure provider initially of zero emissions transportation, but uh, you know after creating um, or after starting development of depots, we realized that we can't just have depots that are sitting there idle. And um, sort of created our own transportation uh, uh, company to act as the off taker of those depots. Um, so the way that wadiB makes money is that one, all of our depots. We make money off of selling energy, but we also have our own transportation and ener- uh, a division where we haul freight for a lot of the shippers using zero emissions trucks. So the offering to the shippers is very simple. They can get into um, sustainability and meet their sustainability goals much faster without putting any of the upfront costs themselves. We just simply go to them and, and start hauling freight for them and allow them to, to meet their ESG goals. But the other offering is to the owner operators and carriers. And a lot of the um, owner operators are, are smaller carriers that can't necessarily afford uh, an electric truck that costs, on average, four times as much as a new diesel truck, and they also can't afford to put infrastructure in the ground or don't have, you know, enough sufficient uh, um, power available to them at their locations to have infrastructure. So our offering to them is is more of a truck as a service solution where we offer an electric truck, all inclusive of the vehicle maintenance, damage insurance, and uh, charging a lot of fixed price per month on routes that we have already tested ourselves within the Southern California region. So uh, initially our market is more on the drainage and middle mile focused in Southern California. And then as we start uh, rolling out more depots along California and other locations that are adopting similar mandates, we can scale up and then all of our sites are also designed with future-proof technology um, to help get from current technology to the next generation.
0: So I guess, uh, to how were the early days like and what was it like, you know, to go out and and do the proofing of sites and and things like that? Yeah, I mean,
1: at the very beginning, when we, you know, first created Wadi V and, and started working on our, our first site, which was in Bakersfield, hesitation was that we were too early. But uh, the more momentum we gathered, the more grants we were able to procure and the more momentum we got with, you know, the the customers, we realized that we were right on time. If anything, we were leading the industry. And the the feedback has been very positive. I mean, we're, we've been fortunate to be very successful in the grant funding. We've got uh, a site that's operational in the port of Long Beach that has the capability of charging 26 Class 8 heavy-duty trucks at once. And then we've got other sites uh, coming online soon in the Inland Empire. Um, we're in a valley. Vernon, Bakersfield area, as well as a a network of sites that um, really electrify corridors. So the whole I-5 corridor that goes from the border of San Diego all the way up to Northern California, we've uh, uh, identified sites, procured one site in Sacramento that uh, was recently awarded a uh, $30 million grant to build out the next level of of charging stations. And uh, not all of our charging stations are alike. Um, So there's a lot of metrics that go into developing the infrastructure. Um, Some of the challenges faced there is is on, you know, power availability. Uh, Bakersfield, for instance, is a site that uh, we wanted to model to a traditional truck stop. So a traditional truck stop is able to charge or or fuel 200 trucks a day. And when you convert that to electricity and, and the demand needed, that comes out to around 25 megawatts of power. Um, And getting that power from utilities is pretty difficult and can take years to get that power. So Bakersfield, we started testing the ability to have microgrids. And that's a site that is 115 acres where we can have 100 acres dedicated to solar to have 25 megawatts of capacity to charge electric trucks using our microgrid. Um, That's obviously going to be built in stages as the demand picks up. So the first stage is going to be five megawatts of solar with uh, three megawatt hours of battery storage dedicated to chargers that are operating exclusively on the uh, distributed energy resources. And we also have a dedicated set of chargers that are on utilities. So having these sort of, you know, new innovations and new models helps test this. And then on the um, equipment side of things, we've also uh, created our own subsidiary company called Charge America that uh, procures and develops its own charging equipment so that we stay ahead of the current market. And, and you know the, the reason why we created that is really that we saw a lack in, in when where that technology was going and the speed of which we were going to get to that technology. So Charge America is helping really push that uh, forward with uh, the next generation of, of chargers, which can accommodate both current charging, which is done using CCS at a rate of about 240 kilowatts, and the next level of technology, which is megawatt charging, which is a completely different connector, different charge rates, different cooling levels on the trucks, that can charge at 1,200 kilowatts and can bring your charge time from two to three hours down to about 30 to 45 minutes, which is nearly equivalent to a traditional truck stop.
0: Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So I guess hey, for something like this, you need the capital as well. And one thing that you guys did you know, early on was raising money from grants. So how much money do you guys raise from grants? And... Um, and then also, I mean, how did you got How were you able to be so successful at getting, you know, that amount of money from grants? Yeah,
1: it was really, you know, not only just grants, but also a lot of uh, capital that went in from our own side. So we had, um, in early 2021, July 2021 timeframe, we closed our seed round, which was led by uh, Canon Equity for uh, a total of six million dollars. And at that time, we had also raised about uh, five million. In a combination of two uh energy commission grants from California for our Bakersfield site to build out the uh battery storage systems as well as the charging systems um and then, as we started gaining momentum, we've got more, more and more grants and to date we've raised about uh sixty million in grant funding but again, I mean that's not sixty million that comes to wadibe's bank account immediately right i mean there's sort of a, a delay period of when you can collect on those grants i mean some of some of those grants are based off of invoices so you have to spend the money to get the money and then some of them are also after completion of a site and six months of of data collection Um, so there's sort of that buffer period that you need before you can start collecting on your grants Um, but there's also a lot of incentives that go towards truck procurement right so um, an electric truck for comparison is about uh, you know half a million dollars compared to an electric uh, a diesel truck which is about you know, anywhere between one hundred and fifty to $200,000. So that's a, a huge gap in in, in cost. Um, and so, you know, having the ability to, to tap into grant funding to really bring down that cost really helps us gain an edge and, and create an offering that's nearly at par with diesel.
0: So what about now, um, you know, you guys have uh, recently, you know, also raised money from um some of the biggest private equity firms out there. I mean, we're talking in the hundreds of millions, without disclosing anything here because we don't want to get anyone into trouble. But in the hundreds of millions, you know, what was that experience to you know raising money from private equity, you know, of that type of profile as well?
1: <laughs> it definitely wasn't easy. I mean, I, I can tell you that we raised money in a time that a lot of people were struggling to do so, and the con- conversation started early January of 2023, and and we. We're very happy to close our uh, Series A round in November of 2023. So it was definitely a long time in the making, and and uh, was a long process. But we're very happy to announce that you know our Series A closed with uh, two of the largest infrastructure developers, Apollo and VTOL, uh, which have offered a tremendous amount of support and, and will continue to do so to help us you know get from where we are today to having you know another 40 sites online and to someday having 400 sites online across the nation
0: so how how does the operation change when you have like private equity firms involved now?
1: Um, the operation fortunately hasn't changed too much so there's obviously um, a lot more involvement which is you know not always a bad thing it's also you know good to have involvement from Apollo and VTOL with the the amount of, of, of strength that they bring to the company. they've opened up a lot of doors for us. Um, uh, is, is very, uh, is one of the actually largest users of, of BYD trucks. So they've been able to help, uh, conversations on that end of seeing where, um, BYD is with their current technology and what it takes to get towards a truck that's capable of charging at megawatt levels. Um, Apollo also has very strong, uh, backing on, on, you know, the infrastructure side and where they come from. So they've been very helpful there. But uh, it's, it's really, you know, I think the biggest difference is that it allowed us to move a lot faster, right? I mean, for, for you know, the entire operational period before Series A, we had to be very co- cautious of how we spend our money and, and be able to stretch it a long way. And now having, you know, our Series A behind us, we can move a lot faster to get to having more and more sites online and and scaling from the trucks that we have online today to, you know, several hundred trucks online within the end of the year.
0: So for raising, you know, the money and getting incredible investors like that involved, I mean, obviously there needs to be a vision, right? So when we're thinking about the vision, imagine you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of what EV is fully realized. What does that world look like
1: It's a world where you start seeing zero emission trucks almost daily on the road right i mean i I am fortunate to travel um you know on the seven ten freeway, which is probably one of the the busiest uh freeways used by trucks today and these are trucks that most of the time go from the port to inland empire and you can see the amount of pollution you can see the amount of freight hauled and Having a world where all of those are electric trucks charging at the port or other depots really puts that vision into picture. I and mean, you, you're you're removing tons of CO two emissions on a yearly basis, and and helping shippers and carriers reach their sustainability goals. Um, so you know, having a world that, where trucks are are you know not uh, you know one in a hundred trucks, but every truck is an electric truck is is the future that we'd like to see.
0: Now. When when we're thinking now, obviously, about bringing money in, you know, you got to also think about scaling the operation, right? Because Mm -hmm. now you're fueling, you know, this thing to to go much faster on the operational side. So I guess, Mm -hmm. what have you learned when it comes to scaling things up so far?
1: Sure. Yeah. So just, you know, to give you a a bit of a perspective, in the Port of LA and Long Beach, there are 30,000 trucks registered to go inside those ports. And those thirty thousand trucks um predominantly are, are operated by owner operators either smaller, smaller fleets um, so uh to go from you know thirty thousand truck diesel trucks to thirty thousand electric trucks is definitely not easy uh There's a number of challenges from again going into the utility where you're gonna find that amount of power to charge thirty thousand trucks to the cost of those trucks. How are you going to bring down the cost of those to to be able to get them in the hands? of operators without relying on grants because eventually grants will run out. It's a matter of of when. Um, So that's definitely one of those models that you have to to account for. Um, Fortunately for us in California, there's an abundance of of grants and mandates to help both on bringing the cost down as well as um, encouraging the users to start adopting those. But in terms of the lessons learned, um, again, Long Beach was the first site that we were able to get online. That's a site that has uh, uh, five megawatts of power and uh, the ability to charge twenty six trucks concurrently, but you know the 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 ability to scale comes on the the challenge of reducing the charge time so to, to go from you know a two to three hour charge time on current technology trucks down to about a thirty minute charge time is what we see as being the need for success. Um, and for us, we see that happening in, in probably late 2024, 2025 timeframe as the inflection point. So today, we've, we've already created prototypes of the charging equipment. We have, you know, a prototype of the megawatt charger at a facility, and are in close communication with a lot of the um, manufacturers of trucks to see what it takes to create a uh, megawatt-capable vehicle. Um, and then on, on, you know, the site procurement. We're, we're always staying ahead, always communicating with utilities to see what sites have power, um, and creating our, our, you know, site roadmap to, to map out from going from you know the the drage and the middle mile to being able to go towards long haul freight.
0: So, so the other thing that I think, that I like to ask you here is, you know, let's talk about consciousness because obviously, you know, climate change now the the way that people think about it. Is really, you know, incredible compared to where people thought about it, you know, some years ago. And I think that there's even more and more consciousness around this. So how do you, I mean, I I find that one of the critical things about being a founder, too, of, of a hyper growth company is being at the right time in history. How do you think it has helped you guys, you know, getting the wind, you know, blowing behind your back, too, on this?
1: Yeah, it's a very good question. I mean, a lot of the conversations we have actually starts with the shippers. So these are the guys that have the freight that need to be moved. And, you know, sure, California has mandates to sort of force it, both on the uh, truck acquisition side through things like the advanced clean truck and the advanced clean fleet rule. Um, but really, a lot of the conversations start with shippers because those are the ones that have the sustainability goals, have these ESG goals that they're trying to meet. And they're willing to, to see what it takes to have their load move with zero emissions good. And by having, by starting the conversations with that end customer, you can figure out how you can create that full ecosystem picture of, okay, I've got the freight. Now, how do I match it with the carriers? How do I match it with the owner operators so that they can start moving that freight with our zero emissions truck offering your truck as a service?
0: and then also how difficult it is to uh put together the infrastructure you know for something like this for what you guys are dealing with with what ev how tough is that and what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way with it
1: yeah so so infrastructure definitely takes time uh some of the challenges are permitting and some of it is, is dealing with utilities and, and procurement of equipment um long beach i can tell you that uh, took 14 months from when we got site control to getting that online and that is actually record timing for a lot of cases. I mean, there's some sites that are still stuck with years of of, uh, work already done and still don't have any power. Um, So that's definitely one of the challenges. And and some of the lessons learned is that a lot of the cost that goes into infrastructure is what you don't see. It's the amount of conduits and wiring that's all buried underground. So coming up with solutions to how you can, you know, minimize that amount of labor through things like, Having a prefabricated system or um, having ways to, to improve so you're not you know, dependent on switch gear or transformers can oftentimes help. And I can tell you one of the products that, that uh, we're working on with uh, you know, our, our subsidiary company Charge America is, is having charging equipment that operates at medium voltage. And in that case, you're really um, reducing amount of the, the cost. Right, So in one case, you're removing the transformer, you're removing the switchgear, so a utility come directly at medium voltage to give you power and be able to charge there. Um, other sides uh, of infrastructure is, is, like I had mentioned, with distributed energy resources. Um, in some cases, a utility may say that there isn't power available and it may take years before they can upgrade the distribution lines so having things to to offset those costs with or offset those delays with the uh, battery and storage uh, battery storage and solar can oftentimes help but uh, on the flip side of that is is the grant funding and we right now rely on grant funding to really bring down those costs um, obviously as you start scaling you expect the the economies of scale to bring down the cost of the equipment as well as the cost of the trucks and and that's why we're having those conversations now with you know, the truck manufacturers to see what it takes to get to a truck that's capable at the megawatt charging level and be able to deliver on, you know, a thousand plus units of those.
0: So let's say I was to put you now, Salim, into a time machine and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time to maybe that moment that you were thinking about doing something of your own. And let's say you had the opportunity of having a sit down with that younger Salim. In giving that younger Salim one piece of advice for launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now?
1: <laughs> um, launching a business is definitely not easy. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of, you know, loss of sleep. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I say is, is stay at it. Don't give up. I mean, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's going to be days where you feel like you're just getting run over and beat up by everybody around you. But uh, always being able to pull through and, and you know, being able to, to, to work with others to, to find a solution and find ways to path forward will always uh, help. And, and uh, you know, that's one of the things that I've seen with WadiV is that you now when we started this company, there's definitely a lot of work that went into convincing myself that it is viable and it is a good business opportunity. Um, and then it came down to making sure that we can make the company succeed. And, you know, to make a company succeed, it's two things. One is having the vision and the second is having the team, right? I mean, having the team to come in and, and that really believes in, in the vision of the company and is there to to push things forward, both on the infrastructure, the development side, the operation side. And been, I've been very fortunate to uh, grow the company. We've got about 30 employees now and are growing pretty rapidly. And, and the, the team has helped tremendously in, in getting the company to where it is today.
0: I love it. So, Salim, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Yeah, so they can reach out uh, directly on the website or they can email at info at wadev.com.
0: Easy enough. Well, Salim, thank you so much for being on the Maker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us today. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value,